0: of this Upside Down series this morning. And so there's something that I want us to do as we start uh, uh, our, our talk today. Um, our, uh, if you are sitting in an aisle row um, under your chair, there should be um, some uh, pencils and some post-it notes. I would like you to take those and pass those down to the people uh, in your row, and so each person gets a pencil and a post—not well, post-it note, like index card. I'm sorry, an index card. And this is what I want you to think about. There's a question I want you to write on one side of the card today, and uh, and I want you to write the answers to this question. And the this is the question I want you to uh, to to answer. The question is. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? So now what I want you to do, there's two answers I want you to put down. Uh, I want you to put the first one down. What is the gospel in one word? What is the gospel in one word? So, whether you have been a Christian for 50 plus years or you are exploring this journey of faith, this is a question that will probably challenge you because you may have never even thought about this before. But, what is the gospel in one word? And then, below that, I want you to think a little harder. Let's get a little bit more descriptive. What is the gospel in three words? What is the gospel in one word? What is the gospel in three words? And let me just say, I did this exercise several months ago, and it kind of stumped me a little. Really made me think. And so I was like, we've got to do this at Generation Church. What is the gospel in one word? What is the gospel in three words? Okay, I'll give you just a few moments, and then we'll continue. And I want you to hold it, because I want you to think about what you wrote down. And there's probably going to be a whole lot of different answers here. And I'm not going to ask you to shout them out. Um, and Because that's probably what you think the gospel is, what you wrote down right there. But this is what many people wrote. And this is probably what I would have wrote seven, several months ago. I would have probably wrote something like this. The gospel in one word is this, salvation. I probably would have wrote that. And then in three words, I probably would have wrote The gospel, in three words, is I need saving, right? I probably would have wrote that. Or how I saved, because how I am saved is four words. So I would have put three words. How I saved, you know? Like my three-year-old kid, how I saved. So that's probably what I would have put. And you see, we have been taught, and many of us have been taught, that we come to Jesus because we need saving. Many of us, we've been taught that there is something wrong with me, so I need Jesus to fix me, right? That's how we grew up in church, and that's how it was. It was. It was always preached, and you know, you had the guys preaching fire and brimstone. Basically, you are a sinner. You need Jesus, otherwise, you're going to hell. And that is what we thought the gospel was. I had a conversation with a uh, a friend of mine, and uh, uh, who actually a work colleague, and he said to me this to me. He goes, "This is my problem with Christians," and. I'll use the exact words that he used, and I hope it's not offensive to anyone this morning, but this is he says. My problem with Christians is this. You think we're all screwed. That's what he said. And I didn't know how to answer him because I was like, well, you kind of are, you know? But that's what he thought. He thought that we're we're all kind of messed up, and so you think that you are going to come and save me. And for many people... This is what we are unknowingly teaching. And this is what happens in a lot of churches. We are unknowingly teaching that the gospel starts at Genesis chapter 3. And if you remember Genesis chapter 3, and if you don't, you may want to read it because it gives a lot of explanations about men and women. But this is what happened in in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent came and tempted Eve. So Eve tempted Adam. And Adam and then Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And what happened, they disobeyed God and sin came into the world and the result was that they would end up in dying and death would come into the world. So many people think that the gospel starts at Genesis chapter 3. We are sinners and death is our penalty and we need something to help us because we're messed up. And then as they move into the New Testament, this is what many people think the gospel centers on, the death of Jesus. So when they open the Gospels, they skip the first few verses or chapters of Matthew and then Mark and Luke and John, and they go to the Gospel. This is the Gospel, Jesus dying on a cross. And so that's what many people, their Gospel is. Now, I have a friend who, about 10 years ago, I met this, this girl, and she came into the church that we're at at the time because she had incredible pain in her neck. So much pain that she couldn't even sleep through the night. And she tried everything. She tried doctors. She tried surgery. and Nothing happened. And she came into church because her last resort was, I'm just going to try Jesus. See what Jesus can do. And so what happens is she came into church, and we started to pray for her. And she started to get involved in church, involved in a small group. She started to pray and read her Bible. And guess what happened? God healed her. Because We believe we serve in a God who heals. And we prayed for her and her pain went. What the doctors couldn't do, her pain went. And so she was living this life of like Jesus rocks, Jesus rocks. He healed my neck. And so she would be part of the church and, and everything. Well, several years later, another part of her neck, the pain started to come back. And she couldn't sleep again. So she did what she thought she did before. I'm going to go to church and get people to pray. So everyone started to pray, and we prayed for this girl. And guess what happened? She didn't get healed. And we were like, what? God, you healed her before. Why didn't you heal the again? And you know what happened to this girl? She started to slip away from her faith. Stop attending church, stop going to a small group, stop praying, stop reading her Bible. And I saw her a few weeks ago, and we were tra- chatting and, and stuff. But it's funny, her faith. Is no longer there. She would say she's a Christian, but her faith is no longer there. And this is why. Because her gospel was this Jesus heals. And when Jesus didn't heal her, what happened to the gospel? It broke. And this is what I know about the gospel. The gospel does not break. The gospel is unbreakable. And so for her, her gospel was not a right gospel. It was, I come to Jesus because Jesus can heal me. But now if Jesus can't heal me, then I no longer need the gospel. And this is what happens long before we sinned, long before Genesis chapter 3 happened, the gospel existed. The gospel existed. Mark, uh, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, records in Mark 15 that Jesus died on a cross. But do you know what happened? Long before, fifteen chapters before, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark records: "This is the gospel." Way before Jesus died on a cross. See, the gospel means this. Gospel means good news. Good news. And the gospel does not start in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, the gospel starts in Genesis chapter 1, where it says this, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The gospel starts in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word. And John defines the Word as Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The gospel starts not in Mark 15 when Jesus died on the cross, but the gospel starts in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what it says. This is the good news, or some translations will say this is the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, the gospel can be described in one word, and this is what that word is. Jesus. Jesus. And then the gospel, if we want to get a little bit more descriptive, the gospel can be described in three words. And this is the three words of the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Simple, right? Pretty easy. Now, once we have that foundation, once Jesus is Lord, now the result of Jesus being Lord is this. We can find salvation for our sins. We're on a path towards heaven. We can have a blessed life. We can experience all the joys that God promises. And whatever you wrote on your card today, that probably is part of the result of being a part of the gospel. So if you wrote saves, like I would have wrote, that is the result of Jesus being Lord. See, being saved isn't the gospel. Jesus being Lord is the gospel because that's the good news that Jesus is Lord. And the result of Jesus is Lord is that now we find salvation. See, through the gospel, we have grace, we have mercy. We have forgiveness of sins, but it all starts with one foundation, Jesus being Lord. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to look at a bunch of verses and we're going to really quickly go through them to kind of explain what Jesus means when he talks about the gospel. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 and verse 18, this is what Jesus said. He's teaching on something called the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching to the multitudes. This is the first time people are really understanding the teachings of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said. Don't misunderstand why I have come. Let that one sink in for a moment. Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. He said this, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish Their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. That's what Jesus said. So here Jesus makes an appeal to his listeners. Carefully understand me. Understand why I have come. Why does he say this? Because Jesus knew that people misunderstood him. And people knew that people will and would misunderstand him. And so my question to us as a church this morning is this, have we misunderstood why Jesus came? Have we misunderstood why Jesus came? I know my friend who came to Jesus because she needed healing misunderstood why Jesus came. See, Jesus tells us, he says, I did not come to abolish the law. See, a lot of churches will say, well, we're not under law anymore. And what they mean by the law, there's like the Jews had this law that was given to Moses, and it was all these lists of do's and don'ts. And uh, people say, well, we're not under the law anymore. But Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it. All the writings of the prophets, he says, but I came to accomplish their purpose. Now, this was the problem. The law was incredibly hard to abide by. Right. It had so many lists of do's and don'ts that were so hard to abide by. It was impossible to keep to. It was easy to break. And the Jews had started to misunderstand what the law was. See, this is what they thought the law was. The law, if I kept the law, I'm in God's good books. If I break the law, I'm in God's bad books. We want to be in God's good books, not bad books, right? You've seen the movies, you know? God will smite you. Good books, not bad books. So this is what we do. If we get in God's good, bad books, this is what we do. We go get a bull... Or, you know, a calf, or we get a lamb, or we get a bird, you know, or we get some nice fragrances, and we offer them to God as a sacrifice so that we get in God's good books again. You know, like your kids, they get in the, your bad books, right? And then they come and they understand it, so they manipulate you and they come and give you a kiss and a hug, and immediately you're back in their good books again, right? Husbands try to do that with their wives, just doesn't work. So, but that's what they did. Because they thought the law was to appease God. The purpose of the law was not to appease God. The purpose of the law was not to make sacrifices. This was the purpose of the law all along. The purpose of the law was to establish the kingdom of God once again in the hearts and the lives of those who make Jesus Lord of their lives or made God Lord of their lives for the Jewish people at the time. The law was a practical way to live in an imperfect world, just as we would live in heaven, which is a perfect world. And so people started to put the practice of the law over the purpose of the law. And so that's why Jesus came and Jesus says, I have come to accomplish the purpose of the law. So let's take a look at more what Jesus says in verse 19 of Matthew 5. Jesus says, So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So think these are Jewish people who are used to the Jewish law. They are told, if you keep the law, you're in God's good books. If you break the law, you're in God's bad books. Now, Jesus starts saying, okay, if you keep the law, then you will be great in the kingdom of heaven. But if you just dismiss the law, then you'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Jewish people are all about rewards. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They love the thought of the rewards of God, the rewards of heaven, the rewards that God gives us on life. So they do things to get rewards. That's what a lot of them started to do. So the listeners are loving this. They're like, this is great. Like if I just try a little harder, I'm going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. They're loving it because it's all about my works, what I can do. Jesus said, but then this is what happens. Verse 20 happens and it was like a bombshell, like Jesus dropped the mic, like they had a balloon and Jesus popped it. Because this is what Jesus says in verse 20, but I warn you. So he's telling them, I warn you, don't think you're so good right now. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So now, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they loved the law. They kept the letter of the law. They even challenged Jesus on time that Jesus didn't keep the law. They were all about the law. If you weren't a Pharisee, it's because you didn't have it to keep the law. You just, like, messed up time and time again. See, the Pharisees, they were the pinnacle of Jewish life. That if they can, if they're not going to make it, then none of us are going to make it. And this is what Jesus says. No, your righteousness, and they figure the righteousness, how we keep the law, your righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of religious law. And immediately, all the people like, oh, man, we were on a good thing. It's like watching an infomercial, right? You listen to it. You get the salesperson on. It's like a 30-minute infomercial. You're like, come on, just get to the price. Just get to the price, right? Because you got someone selling you, and you're sold. You're like, I need that. If I could just get that, then my yard will look so much better. If I can get that, then then I can watch TV, and the comfort of my chair will be amazing, you know? If I could just do that, it will rock my world and change my life when you watch these infomercials. And then they come out at the end. And this will be all yours for 16 payments of $200, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, man, you're on a good thing, right? And then they come and they dash your dreams. Have you ever been on one of those timeshare things? You know, they promise you. We did it many years ago. It was someone say, free flights if you just go to this meeting. So we're like, okay, free flights. We can fly anywhere in the United States. Let's go. 45 minutes later, we are bought that we want to buy this timeshare that is thousands of dollars because we will have the life that we've always dreamed of. And then they take you into your room and says, Well, it'll be this many thousand dollars. Okay, here's a pen. Where do you want to sign? And you're like, Oh man, I've just wasted my life because I can't afford this. And this is what these people are probably thinking. Okay, it's great what Jesus is saying, but now Jesus is telling us, unless you are more righteous than these people, guess what? You're not even gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus breaks out a list of a way that we should be more righteous than the Pharisees. And I want us to quickly go through this list today because you'll be like, we've got no hope. This is what Jesus says, the first one. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Jesus says, But you have heard our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But, Jesus says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, I've done that a few times, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, haven't done that, some of you have though, You you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge. He will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you You have paid the last penny. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. Look, the law says this. The law says, do not murder. But you need to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. So I tell you, do not even be angry. How many of you have been angry maybe in the last week or so, right? So I'm not going to mention any names this morning, but last Sunday... After a lot of you have got out of here, some of us and some of our leaders, the kids come over. And I don't know what they do in kids' church, but they sugar them up like crazy. And they run around the place, right? So one of our leader's kids were running around, and they were going crazy around here, you know. And then one of them tripped over, and they were told a few times not to run. They tripped over, smacked their head off one of the chairs, and they started crying. Well, this leader, I'm not going to mention any names. I've known them for like 11 years, 10, 11 years. I have never heard them shout so loud in my life. I mean, I was even startled. And I wanted to laugh, but you can't laugh because the kids are around. And so I never heard them. And then I was like, wow, I've never heard you be like that. And then his wife said to me, "Oh, well, I won't mention her name either. But the wife said to me, well, that's nothing compared to what I've seen him do at home. And it made me laugh because he just got angry in a moment, you know. But we get angry easily. And this is what Jesus is saying. The law says do not murder, but I'm saying to you, don't even get angry. Uh-oh. That means none of us qualify. Because unless you've been smoking weed for the last 30 years, you know, and you're just chilled and mellowed out, then you've been angry with someone. So this is what Jesus says. Oh, here's the solution. Settle your differences. Jesus says settle your differences. Right? Instead of getting angry with someone, settle your differences. So that's the first one Jesus says. Then Jesus continues. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says, You have heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, Causes you to lust, not the lazy eye, the good eye. Causes you to lust, gorge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of the body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if if, if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So this is what the law says. The Pharisees went along with it. Do not commit adultery. Jesus comes along and says, your righteousness needs to be more than the Pharisees. I say to you, do not even look. Let me tell you, when I was in youth camp as a teenager, we were petrified of this verse. Our youth leader at the time would tell us this verse, and we were just like, oh man, I missed it. Because what teenage boy hasn't lusted once in his life, right? Except for Jesus. You miss it. He's saying, even if you look at somebody, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If there's one bad part of your body, cut it off. It's like, it's impossible. How can anyone do this? Jesus says, I got a solution. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. So Jesus has dealt with not being angry, not lusting. And then let's take a look at the next one. In Matthew 5, verse 31, it says, You have heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say, Jesus says, that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So the law says, Okay, a man can divorce his wife. And if you actually look at what a lot of the Jews did back then, that they would, if they didn't like someone, they would give them the written notice and they would say, okay, you're on your own, I'm going on to the next one. Then Jesus comes along and says, but you've heard that say, but I tell you, a man shouldn't divorce his wife. Because if he does and she marries someone else, then she commits adultery. And if you marry someone else, then you commit adultery. And let's just be very real and honest this morning. There's some of you here this morning You've been divorced. We live in a world where divorce is everywhere. Does that mean you can't enter the kingdom of heaven? Because Jesus says your righteousness has to be more than the Pharisees. But Jesus has a solution. He says this, always think of others. Always think of others. Don't think about yourself in all these situations. Think of others in those situations. Let's take a look at the next one that Jesus says, the fourth one. He said this, You have heard, also heard, that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows, and you must carry out your vows you make to the Lord. But I say, Jesus said, Do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. But your kids can, right? Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. So the law says this, do not break vows. Jesus says, don't make any vows. So last Saturday night, I did a wedding, right? And I married a couple, and they said vows. Jesus says, don't make vows. So we just made those vows. Does that mean we don't qualify for the kingdom of heaven? On my wedding day, I made a vow to my wife. Does that mean I don't qualify for the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, but your righteousness has to be more than the Pharisees, so do not make vows. So Jesus says, this is the solution. Keep your word. Don't make the vow. Keep your word. How many of you have ever signed for a mortgage or a credit card? You've signed off saying, I will pay this back. Right? I will pay this back. Student loans. I will pay it back for the rest of my life. Right? (laughs) But Jesus says, don't make a vow. How can we live in our world and not make vows? But then Jesus carries on and it gets even worse for us. I'm telling you. In verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, and trust me, soldier's gear is heavy, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth equal punishment. But Jesus comes along and says this, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn and... Let them slap you on the left. For a Jew, a slap on the right cheek was the ultimate insult. Like we've got a lot of insults today that we use. But for a Jew, you slap them on the right cheek, that was an insult. Because think, right cheek, most people are right-handed. It's not just a slap like a girl slap, you know. It's a backhanded slap on them. It was an insult and Jesus says, turn. I mean, come on, let's be honest. How many times has someone done something to us and we've sought revenge or we want to get our own back on them? But this is Jesus. He has a solution. He says this, but there should be grace and mercy. So be a giver, not a taker. Always be about giving to others, being generous to others, not taking from others. And then the last one Jesus talked about, and I know there's a lot here, but this is proof. Jesus is proving a point to these people. He said this, In verse 43, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true true children of, uh, of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight on both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there is that? It is there for that. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So the law says this, love your neighbor. Jesus comes along and it's totally revolutionary. I say love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's tough to do. Those who persecute you. Those who say bad things about you. Those who post nasty things on their Facebook wall about you. Even those who support a different political party than you. Wow. (laughs) Love your enemies. Jesus has a solution. This is what the solution is. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. See, what Jesus is doing here, he is telling the people, your righteousness needs to be more than the Pharisees. So guess what? I'm going to show you how hard it is to get in the kingdom of heaven. Because if you don't do this stuff, you cannot get in the kingdom of heaven. And they're all thinking, that's it. There's no solution. There's no way. But what Jesus is doing, he's not just giving a list of do's and don'ts. He's not giving a list that is harder to keep, that's impossible. I call this the impossible life. Because it's impossible to keep. Because let's face it, we can't do it. Anger is hard to control. Temptation to lust and envy is all around. At one point, we've all sought revenge on somebody. We've always found it hard to love those who hurt us. But what Jesus is displaying, he's displaying an impossible life. And he is showing the people it's not about keeping a list of do's and don'ts. The law isn't about being in God's good books or bad books. The law isn't about just you doing everything yourself so you can make yourself righteous with God. Jesus is teaching us right here how we do life in the kingdom of heaven what the culture looks like to those who belong to him. And so out of that, I've got six things I want to just quickly share with you about what the culture of the kingdom of heaven is about. And this is what it is. The kingdom is about relationship. The kingdom is about relationship. When you seek relationship with Jesus, it becomes far easier to reconcile relationships with others. The kingdom of God is about relationship. The second thing that Jesus, I believe, is showing us here about the kingdom is this. The kingdom of God is about picking up your cross and denying yourself. It's about saying no to the wants and desires of things that this life offers at times and saying no, I'm going to deny myself that and I'm going to follow Jesus. The kingdom of God is about thinking before acting. Oh, how I wish some people would do that. Thinking how our actions are going to affect others on their journey of faith. The kingdom of God is about consistency, honesty, and integrity. Here at Generation Church, one of our values is this, is that honesty is always an essential policy. Because we believe as believers of Jesus that we need to be honest, honest with one another, honest with ourselves, and honest with God. And Jesus is teaching here that the kingdom of God is about consistency. It's about honesty and it's about integrity. Jesus is also teaching us that the kingdom of God is about giving and not taking. There's no room for consumers in the kingdom of God. It's about generous people who want to reach out their hand to others. And practice unconditional forgiveness. And then finally, the kingdom of God is about letting the love of Christ shine through in all circumstances. I was going to show you a clip, and we don't have time this morning, but remember the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi? I always remember wax on, wax off, right? Wax on, wax off when he, he came to the karate kid and he got, he got him to polish his car. You know, I'm going to try that with my son when he gets a little older. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. And then he painted the fence up and down. And the karate kid turns around and he says to Mr. Miyagi, why am I doing this? All I want to do is learn how to do karate. This doesn't make any sense. And Mr. Miyagi says, yeah, you are learning the principles of karate here. And this is what Jesus is doing here, saying this doesn't make any sense to us, Jesus. But what Jesus is doing is teaching the principles of the kingdom of heaven, Because this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let me just tell you, the goal of Jesus was not to save you. The goal of Jesus was to perfect you. And what that means is saving had to occur for that to happen. The gospel is not about salvation from your sins. The gospel is the life that is found when we walk in the unshakable kingdom of God and where God makes you perfect just as he is perfect, where Jesus is Lord. And when that happens, we automatically get saved from our sins. That's the good news. However, it's impossible for us to walk by ourselves in this kingdom. For we are imperfect people living in an imperfect world. And this is where the death and the resurrection of Jesus comes in. For we have to walk through the gateway that Jesus created when he died on a cross and he rose again. And when we can walk through that gateway, guess what is on the other side? The beautiful life that is in the kingdom of God. A life where you can have relationship. A life where you can be a giver, not a taker. A life where, uh, where, where, where all these wonderful things happen. And you can reconcile with those loved ones. You can love your neighbors. You can let the love of Christ shine through. This is what happens when you walk through the gateway of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, it is impossible to live out the gospel unless we receive the grace and the forgiveness of the saving power of Jesus. So do not misunderstand why Jesus came. Jesus did not come so that we could all get a golden ticket to heaven. He did not come to be religious and set up a religion. Jesus did not come so you could have a blessed life here on earth. Jesus did not come so that you can stay out of trouble. He did not come so that you could be healed from your infirmities. Even though all those are wonderful benefits of being part of the kingdom of God. Jesus came, he says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. And that life is found in the perfection of what happens when we do not follow the customs and the behaviors of this world. But when Jesus becomes Lord and then we allow him to transform our minds into kingdom minds by changing the way that we think. We said in week one, this is what the, the, the early church believed in. They, they had a term called the renewed mind. It was a a way that that, that they they could describe what Jesus had done in their mind. See, Jesus came to accomplish what God always intended, and that's just to give you a good and beautiful life, an everlasting life. just want to show this book. This is a book I read about three years ago on this subject, on the Sermon on the Mount. Totally changed my thinking. Suddenly I wasn't scared by my youth leader at camp anymore. And I'm not going to heaven because I may look at somebody too long or have an impure thought or get angry with somebody and shout at my kids. But it's a book by James Bryant Smith. It's called The Good and Beautiful Life. And I recommend anyone, you can read it you can take this copy and read it if you want. But it is an incredible book on living in the kingdom of God. And how Jesus didn't come to say, well, you just can't do this, can't do this. Jesus came to say, look, it's so impossible. Don't even try. Just come and walk through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And on the other side, you'll have a perfect life. But it all starts with this one question. Is Jesus Lord to me? Is Jesus Lord to me? So this is what I want us to do as we gather for worship and we sing some songs right now. I want this question to be on your mind as the words come up on the screen, as the music plays, as we sing these songs. Maybe if you hands are in worship, uh, 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 as as your mouth starts to sing, or maybe you just want to be there and sit there and just contemplate on this. But this is the question I want you to think about today. Is Jesus Lord to me? Not, am I going to heaven because I'm saved? Not because I've said a sinner's prayer. Not because I've you know, done the right things, not because I've come to church and joined a small group and I give some money and, you know, I volunteer and I change nasty diapers over in the kids area. You know, I'm sure you're going to get great rewards for that. Trust me. But the question of the gospel is this, is Jesus Lord? Because unless Jesus is Lord, none of the other stuff matters. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And after we bow our heads in prayer, we're going to stand and we're going to worship God. And let's believe today that Jesus is Lord. So Father God, today we thank you that you sent Jesus, your son. We thank you, God, that you came to seek and to save those who who were lost. God, because we were living a life that was so far away from you that we could not access the kingdom of heaven. And God, we thank you today that you did not come to give us another list of do's and don'ts, but you came to accomplish the purpose of the law, and that was to give us a life that is full of God, where God is center, and Jesus is Lord. So this morning, God, we come before you, and we thank you for the salvation of of Jesus. We thank you that you've saved us from our sins. We thank you that you've healed us from infirmities, God. We thank you that you've given us a blessed life, We thank you for the grace and the mercy that you showered upon us. We thank you for all that you've done. But mostly this morning, we thank you that you are our King. You are our Lord. And this morning, our focus is on you. Not on the customs and the behaviors of this world, but our focus is that Jesus is Lord. And we believe today that the gospel is the good news. And the good news is this, is that there is a man called Jesus who is God who came in the form of man who lived a perfect life who died was raised from the dead and ascended and is coming again as lord and king and so we declare today that the gospel is jesus is lord so as we worship you today we do that from the bottom of our hearts today god we declare that you are lord you are lord of our lives you are lord of our marriages you are lord of our homes God, you are Lord of our futures, you are Lord of our careers, you are Lord of our finances. God, you are Lord of our bodies, you are Lord of our thoughts and our actions and our motives. That you are Lord today, you are Lord of this church. And one day we pray that you'll be Lord of this community. Where many will come to find you as Lord and Savior. So God, today we worship you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship him.